0: <clears throat> well, I've kind of been going back and forth for a few weeks now on what to teach this evening. And i um, not going to lie, i bounced around quite a bit. But I landed on this. Um, we're going to study the names of God. And we're going to go through not an exhaustive study, not even close. Um, but I love this study because... Well, first of all, it fits really, really well with what we're studying in Sunday morning in adult class, which is the third member of the Trinity, which is who? The Holy Spirit. And in the names of God, um, contain the Holy Spirit. We'll see that tonight. Also, we're in the kingdom. And we're studying future times. Well, guess what? In the name of the Lord is also the future. Um, and we'll, we'll be refreshed and we'll remember that a little bit here this evening. And then thirdly is, and we've kind of gotten away from this in, you know, modern, sort of postmodern times. But it used to be much more common that a person was named or given a name because of a location or an event or a meaning. And all of us sitting here, our names mean something. If you were to Google your name now probably could do it. I know what my name means. You probably know what your name means. And I feel like, all right, I know what my name means. I should more so know what my Maker's name means. And there's incredible depth there. So I thought tonight we could spend a little bit of time on that. I don't know how many, you know, or how often we really just get to study the name of God, the name of the Lord. So there's a few, there's a few um, just a few subjects, I guess, that are related to this that I want to talk about as we lead into this study. And the way this goes um, is just like with, you know, Pastor Rod, if you were teaching on Wednesday, questions, comments, chime in. We look forward to those things. <clears throat> so some, some related study, stu- study topics, and I, I talked through this. Um, in 2017, if you'll remember, some of you adult school class goers, um, I taught on the attributes of God. Remember that? And we, we used uh, Arthur Walkington Pink, A.W. Pink's book, um, The Attributes of God. And he narrows it down to 13. There's more. If you, if you go into you know, Godet and Homer and some of those guys, they've got a lot more. But that's one thing we can study, and that includes, you know, that's sort of arching out of the name of God. And number one is just the existence of God. I don't know if you've ever had this. Maybe I'm, I know I'm a weirdo, but this maybe is just an example of even being more weird. But you're caught in traffic, or you're out in the woods, or you're camping, and you're just in your own thoughts, right? You're in your own silent moments, which we rarely get anymore, ever. And if you ever just sat there and thought, like, or get a weird feeling, like, wait a minute, like, I'm alive, like, I'm a living being, and there's all this life around me, and how in the world? What in the world? Like, how did all this come to be? Right? I mean, these are, these are questions. These are, these are age-old questions. Well, it gets into the existence of life and the existence of God, and... Guess where the best evidence of all of that is? The name of God. In the name of God. So we'll hit that. So there's the attributes, the existence of God. There's the names of God. This is all kind of related. So this is a is is a is a pretty theological, um, pretty theological lesson. You know, when you get into really the theology and the names of God. So let's go through some principles. These are some review things. And I guarantee our kids, you know, our grandkids who are studying next door are getting a dose of this in Awana and in their Sunday school, which is awesome. So maybe you've asked yourself this question. How do we know with assurance that God exists? And there's one answer to this. Do you realize this? there's only one answer to this, and that's because He says He exists. God Himself says He exists. So then you have to say, if you, if you, if you can accept that answer, which we do, we take it in faith, right? We wouldn't be believers, and we sure was, probably wouldn't be sitting in class right now if we didn't believe this. Where does He say? Did He tell somebody? Is it written down in some cave in a far away land like some other you know false gods is it because some mythical being or person or imagination or some you know somewhere, some way, somehow someone had some communication with him it's not it's because he said he exists and it's because he says he exists in his work. in his word which also leads us to a foundational principle. When you read the Bible, um, it's not open to your interpretation. It's not, you know, what does Ryan think? What does Pastor Rod think? What does Bob think? It's, it thinks it's what does God say about himself. It is God's revealing of himself. It is the only letter, the only book, um, by which, how which, um, God talks about himself. So, Anything extra biblical or outside of the Bible is what? False. It's conjecture. It's, it's whatever someone else, you know, someone else's opinion. So the text or the reason he exists is because he says he exists. He exists because he reveals his nature and himself in his inspired Bible. Right, Second Timothy 3.16 is what? All scripture. Is inspired by God and we can get into that but that word inspire literally means breathed God breathed and this is a little bit of an offshoot but just getting into this lesson go look especially in the major prophets okay in the in the prophets in the Old Testament in the minor prophets those books often begin or somewhere in the first chapter or early in the beginning begin with some statement that says the Lord Commanded me, or the Lord said to record what he said. Um, I can think of several books, you know, where where the the writer of the book specifically says that the Lord says to record it as it is written. To record it, you think of the first five books of the Bible written by whom? Moses, right? Multiple <coughs> times. Multiple, multiple, multiple times in those books you hear you 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 read Moses telling the reader, telling his people the Lord instructed Moses and so and so on and so forth. So we we see it all over the place. We see it in the New Testament as well. The the classic statement in the New Testament is in Matthew and in Luke when when Christ himself says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to do what? To fulfill it, to fulfill it. This is this is the second person in the Trinity, right? Perfect equality with God Himself, who comes and says, "It is not my job to replace anything that is written. Instead, come to to, to fulfill it, and and then makes an incredible statement after, afterward, which is, every jot and every tittle, that is the smallest stroke, the smallest form of punctuation in Scripture will be fulfilled, will be fulfilled." And some of it has been. Think about that—just the, the incarnation of Christ. So, also, man's understanding of God's existence is due to the indwelling, or due to indwelling sin and total depravity. Our resistance—you ever think about that? Our our understanding and our resistance as a people, as a created people, Genesis. Uh, you know, God has created in our image—that little pronoun, that key pronoun there. You can look it up yourself, <clears throat> but um, our our inability to understand, to fully understand, is due to the fall, and is due to the sin imputed by the second Adam, right? We can go to Romans here, Romans two and three, especially, meaning Adam, our best represent representative at the fall. All right, we are now a sinful people, right? Every single person born um, after that is, and will always be sinful. So our depravity, our sinful nature, is what inhibits us from really fully understanding and really comprehending God Himself. The good news is the curse will be lifted one day, right? We're studying that even now. And instead of walking by faith and what's written, we'll we'll be able to walk by sight. And the way I take it is we'll have a full understanding of God and who God is. Lastly, Um, this goes into, you know, this goes without saying, but when we do this study, we need to understand also that God is incomprehensible. He is an infinite God, and no one here can understand infinity. I can't. You can't. We are limited because of our sinful nature and and so forth. And so we cannot, God is incomprehensible to the finite and depraved mind of men, yours and mine. However, (coughs) Other places in Scripture, Hebrews, 1 Corinthians, come to mind. Um, That's also not an excuse. Um, uh, Ezra 7.10, right? I set my heart to study God's Word and to do what? To teach it to all Israel. In other words, we set the dial um, to study and to know God more in depth and more uh, thoroughly. Why? So that we can combat the sin that inhibits us from being able to... uh, to really understand God I'll pause before I really get into the names here but I think it's important to preface our study on on this and I better turn my phone off too with some basic understanding of um, of background any comments, questions so far? alright, well let's rock so the names of the father Yahweh or Jehovah and the compounds let's get into this first of all His name is important. It's important, and it shouldn't be glossed over. It should be noticed. Uh, To God and to Israel, God's names were especially important because they revealed aspects of who He was in Himself, in His actions within Himself, and, the best part, in His relation to us, to His creation. Right? He could have, you know, there's this existential theory that God... Created stuff, and this, guys, this is existence right now. Created stuff, and he's like that little kid on an anthill, right? And he's playing with a magnifying glass, and he's torturing those who he created. But he created and spun the world, put it in existence, and now he's hands off. It's, it's untrue. It's not what we learn in Scripture. God is intentional. He is Related to his creation. And he has great interest in his creation. Thank goodness. How one treats God's name. Is how you treat God. I think of. Christ and how he taught. To pray right. We call it the Lord's prayer. Our father. Who art what? In heaven. Hallowed. Be his name. His name. Right. Hallowed be his name. Hallowed is what? Holy. The prime characteristic of God Himself is His holiness. And all of their attributes and names really flow out of His existence, out of His holiness. Holiness itself means pure, perfect, without blemish, without imperfection. Um, there is nothing wrong, nothing unholy, nothing impure comes from our Lord. And that is an amazing thought in itself. <coughs> So how we treat God's name is how we treat God. Do you really, when we go to him, and I'm guilty of this too, right? Sometimes we take for granted the the access that we have for God, which was ultimately paid for by the death and resurrection of the second person of the Trinity, which is Christ. And it is Christ, as we know in in Hebrews and other places in scripture that provide free access to you and me, to God. You think of the Old Testament system. Had to do what? Bring a what? Had to bring a sacrifice. Right? And and now Christ is our sacrifice. He tells us the, the superior, the once and for all sacrifice. Think about that when we pray. Go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi, as some of you call them. Someone want to read that? Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and then also 11... 14.
1: A son honors his father, a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who have despised my name. But so you say how do we despised your name. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, How do we defiled you. And now you say the table of the Lord is to be described.
0: So I talked through this a while ago in Malachi if you remember that, and here the Lord Himself is reminding the people who ought to know best that the Lord's name means something. And it ought to be treated with respect and it ought to be followed as prescribed in their you know, in their sacrificial system. Given while you're there, would you mind reading eleven through fourteen? Yeah. Thanks.
1: For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, and that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, My, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery, and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? Let cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock, and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Hmm.
0: There's so much here. You could spend weeks here. But again, it's the it's the holiness and reverence of the name of the Lord, and His name will be feared, and it will be made great among the nations. Those who despise Him today will be made a footstool, and those who worship Him today will be made heirs with the Lord, which is an amazing thing to think about. Um, you and me, this this gets into you know how do we treat the Lord? How do we interact with the Lord? Um, you may this is a trivial example, but I have this. You know, battle in, in, in my house when certain individuals maybe don't want to wear, you know, or look the best or take time to prepare or get ready for Sunday morning. And hey, remember, guess what? We're going to worship the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, right? You're, if you went to a, a courtroom or you went to a, a banker and had to meet with your banker or you had to go meet with, you know, we don't necessarily want this, but the President of the United States or whatever, you know, even now today, I'd go dress appropriately. And so would you. How about the Lord of Lords? How about the Lord of all hosts, right? Hosts here, angelic beings. The Lord of all of heaven and earth. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Go back there. Let's get some more Old Testament. Verses 3, 13 to 15. Someone want to read those? Genesis, Exodus.
2: Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am. Who I am, and he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you.
0: You know, I love this section because here what we see, and you can read one more here in a, in a second, in um, verse 15 as well. But here's what I love about this: God Himself expects this question. You know, when when you read this through, God Himself is expecting Moses, is expecting to be able to explain to Moses who he should tell that Moses just received instruction from. Who God himself is. Did you read verse 15? No, Will you do that too? Yep.
2: God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations.
0: Yeah, he puts a close on this. I mean, you pick up on this. He, he's the God of I, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this is my name forever. I'm not going to change. I'm not going anywhere. Your generation, the generation before you, the generations after, and forevermore, who sent you? The I am, right? The I am gives me chills and just thinking about that, just saying that. Well, let's look at the I am. Where does this derive? God regards his name as holy, and he carefully addresses the people's attitudes toward his name. Look at, look at the, look at just some of the clues in here. What is his name? What shall I say to them? I am who I am. That's what you'll tell the sons. I'm the one forever. Well, what does it mean? <clears throat> All right. Uh, we'll come back to this Ezekiel verse, but the most common name for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah in English or Yahweh. We call it in, in uh, theology, they call the the Tetragrammaton, which is spelled, um, as I spelled it there, Y-H-W-H. And, and literally, it means His name, or his name, or my name forever. Um, go back to this Ezekiel verse, Ezekiel 39, 25. I want to read that here. 39, verse 25, Whoever gets there first, go for it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God,
2: now I will bring again the captivity of Jacob, And have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my
0: holy name. Yeah, I put that there because it uses both of these interpretations. You see Lord, and you see God. You see that, how they're used back to back like that? We we see both of these aspects here. His name, who are you? It is I am. And... My name forever. We could literally read this. Therefore says, I am. I am forever. Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob. It's pretty amazing. You know, what is contained in just saying, Lord God, this way. I am who I am and I am. And identifying Lord or Jehovah as my name forever. And that's what he's using here. So here's a bit of history. After the scattering in Babylon, we know this, right? What happened? What did the people do? What did they try to build? Well, I should say, what did they build? Oh, come on. Huge tower, right? And what was the purpose of the tower? Get close to who? Get close to God, right? And God didn't necessarily approve of the engineering project. And so what did he do? Laid waste to it and scattered everybody, right? And now, after that, what is born? What's what is what do we all have now? Different languages. Different languages. We got English. We got different forms of Chinese. We got Swahili. We got French. We got Italian. We got Russian. We got whatever, right? And how amazing is it that we still have that even now? You think about that after that event. As much as English is taught across the world and, you know, lingua franca or one, one language, one common language, still don't have a common language. And the more we try, the more separate it becomes. Kind of amazing, isn't it? Um, anyway, so after the scattering, okay, after, after Babylon, the people came to refrain from saying Yahweh or Jehovah and began using Adonai, or the Hebrew name Elohim. All right, and we'll learn that here next. This change was most likely made from fear for blaspheming or misusing it. Now I like that. So if we're going to make a change. It was out of reverence. It was out of a holy fear for the Lord. They didn't want to misuse it. It was out of respect. And it was a change due to keep the reverence in the name of God. So, Jehovah led to Adonai, which is Hebrew, and Kyrios, which is where we get our word Lord um, in the Greek, and it led to Jehovah being pronounced as Adonai. And the Masoretic, okay, and I'll get to this here, this is the Hebrew text, um, replaced the spelling with the I E H O V A plus Adonai, which became abbreviated as I H V H. In the middle Age church, no change in the attributes, no change in God. And if anything, it was, it was done to um, preserve. And so again, we've got multiple languages, right? So we have a problem. So how do we preserve the word? And so this was the idea of preserving it in the early Jewish, um, early Jewish scriptures. Um, and it was kept this way out of reverence for the Lord. Now, I want to make a point here. Um, so, you know, I love history on the heels of those who went to Israel and got to see some of the lands and some of the stuff that's even still there. Some of the time period that was observed there is near the same time period of this translation. And the, the Masoretes or the Masoretic text is the traditional. I put this in your notes for you is the traditional Hebrew text of the Jewish Bible. It is meticulously assembled and codified. It is it's supplied with diacritical, or diacritical marks to enable correct pronunciation even. So, like if you and I, you see like a certain, maybe if we were reading it more in Spanish or in French or some of the Latin languages or romantic languages, you'd see little accents. Or in German, you'd see, you know, little things that help you with the pronunciation. We see that in the phonetic pronunciation of English words in what important book, a dictionary or a thesaurus, okay? We saw that in the Masoretic translation in the Jewish text. It was so meticulously, carefully written and coded and, kept and preserved over the years that they even thought to include pronunciation. That's incredible. This text is the most accurately copied document in ancient history. And it is widely accepted as the authoritative text of the Hebrew Bible. So what we have in our Old Testament, okay, is, is incredible. This is something that you can Google. Like you can, you can Google the Masoretic text and it will tell you, but it will tell you, you know, basically what I paraphrased here, the most accurately kept ancient document ever. That's not disputed, that's, that's you, know, a, you know, a very, very, you know, what do we want, modern device, Google. Our kids wouldn't even know how to do homework without Google. Um, the Masoretic alphabet invented a system of, of vowels, so it adapted Adonai, that's how we get to the, the pronunciation. Even, and the spelling, even though it was still written as the Tetragrammaton, out of respect, for the jewish tradition so it was still kept as the yhwh or the ihvh and was still understood to be um, the respectful name for the lord that he gave himself the i am as we saw in exodus the greek translations also respected the tr- the jewish tetragrammaton by using kyrios or lord equals sovereign ruler We see this often in in our like our NASB or you know the American, and I'll get to some of the translations later. When we see the all caps Lord, all right. When we see the all caps, Latin Christian transliterators used I E H O V A, okay, Yahweh or Jehovah, to mean the tetragrammaton, and it pronounced it as Adonai, all right. So we're just getting some differences in pronunciation. The Church Reformers embrace this tradition as well. The Tyndale Bible, which is where most of the derivations of our English Bible are um, what we have sitting in our laps today. Okay, it could be traced to that. That respected this translation. And I, just off as a side shoot, I got really, really interested in this about, oh man, about 15 years ago now. There's a gentleman, and I'm going to forget his name. I'd actually have to go back and look at it, but he is a Bible collector, and he's very wealthy. He's a businessman up in Seattle, and his kind of mission in life, and he came to Countryside in South Lake, Texas one year and visited on a Sunday night, and at this time, I wasn't able to attend church very often on Sunday nights because of, just because of my work, but I got to go this Sunday night, and it was special. He brought some Bibles um, near and around that Tyndale time frame and he let people page through it. And he gave kind of a small history and sermonette on how many of these Bibles like literally were preserved. Whose, these men whose lives were literally um, in danger from political rulers and other oppressors at the time preserving God's word. Like the, the, the fathers of church translation and church fathers, you know, in England and northern Europe who, whose blood are literally on the pages that you and I read now. Like they, the, the, the word has been fought for for centuries. And what you and I have now in the comfort of our phone or our lap or whatever is a result of many of these men and women who went to the stake or went to the fire or went to jail like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, it's amazing. And I was so glad I got to see some of those Bibles in his collection. And his, and his mission is really just to continue to preserve the Word. It's just a, if there would ever be another time or someone come and try to destroy you know, those literary works that you and I have, those copies, his, his mission is just to keep them preserved. I thought that was so cool. Um, anyways, the Greek translations also respected the Jewish tetragrammaton by using Kyrios, which I mentioned. The Church reformers embraced this tradition as well, which is critical. Otherwise, we have some other translation. So the Tyndale translation in 1530, and then you know the KJV Rogers translation in 1611, and the and the English Revised Version in 1885, all used and went back to this form of Jehovah. Replacing the eye, which is important, guys, because sitting in a church where literal, exegetical, hermeneutical translation of preaching is, is taught, it's also important then that we have a literal, well-preserved scripture. It is, it is not the goofy stuff that you can get off of many bookshelves now. And just, just go on, so a website that I use, and you can do this on your own time, and you, you can play with this, okay? Just just have fun with this. Uh, in fact, I challenge you to do this. There's a website called BibleStudyTools.com. And I'll use this occasionally because I can go to like, you know, I can put in a scripture, Romans 8.28. And then there's a little drop-down menu on the website, and I can choose choose the translation. And just go look at some familiar verses, John 3, 16, Romans 8, 28, just, you know, whatever you want. Genesis 1, 1. Go look at some of the wacky translations that are out there. It is not God's Word. It is not. And it is important for for us to know, you know, why do we read what we read? You know, why do we, you know, encourage you to have the NASB or the ESV or whatever? Because it's a conservative it is, a, it is as close to literal translation, and those writers, those transliterators work very, very hard, very, very tirelessly to give you as close to the Greek and Hebrew translations as we can possibly. And so it may be a little bit harder to read at times, but it's the best read. Now, it's okay, in my opinion, all right, to have like a NASB or an ESV, and maybe that's your daily reading, And then have some commentaries and have some, you know, things, some supplementary sources, but still have that foundational one as your go-to. Does that make sense? Like, it's okay, I think, to have some supplementary stuff. I go to translations and concordances and, and stuff like that often. But don't let it get you deviated from that good, solid translation. Um and then also the usual translation where most of our stuff came from now, the ASV, which is the American Standard Version. And that was uh, the first copy came out in 1901. Pretty cool to trace this stuff. At least I think it is. And, and you can go back to, you know, those, those scrolls and those parchments that, that the originals wrote on and recorded. So what about the meaning? All right, what about the meaning of Jehovah, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, is very important for theology. It's derived from the Hebrew word being, kavah, especially against the backdrop of Exodus, which we read in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, right? The I am, the basic of the Tetragrammaton is he is or he will be. Now, I want you to think about this. This is This is critical. When we study the attributes of God, we take it almost for granted that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is, right? We take it for granted that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And that he is forever, right? There's no expiration date. And we get those things from his name he is is an incredible statement it's an incredible name he's self he's he's self perpetuating self evident self existence he needs no outside source of energy you and I do right our our solar system all of our existence is because he is it's his name it's captured in his name how far how long he will be How long? Forever, right? It's in his name. He always was, he always is, he always will be. It's captured in his name. Therefore, the name indicates that God is and that he wills to be. In other words, I can will nothing, you can decide nothing. We can decide our way home. I've used this example when I taught this. Like I had like, okay, here's actually a good example. This week, you know, I take my kids to school, okay? Not every day, but some days. And the way I usually went, I'm going down, you know, uh, I'm trying to forget, I forget the road now, and to get to Blackburn and go north on Blackburn through, through York. And I get over the hill and all of a sudden the bottom of the hill I see construction. No warning, no detour sign. There is now, but there wasn't this day. So I had to add five minutes to my trip. You know, I, I make decisions, right? James says this, you can plan tomorrow, but you should really plan, what? According to God's will. Do you realize God has eternity planned out? I mean, that's amazing. It's in His name. He wills it. He decides it. So this gets into His decrees. Like this is, the, this is an aspect of Himself, His attributes. He decrees it. In other words, he thinks it. He and it's done. It's done, and it's done forever. He doesn't just foreknow it; he causes it. And so the seasons in Genesis that says, you know, the seasons will what remain. This is this is your this is your biblical Christian rebuke to global warming that no one will accept. Anyways, we could go on forever. But I want, you to, I want you to see what all is captured in his name. And I'm going to make some implications here at the end. God's name, and I, I'm, I have a typo there. It's supposed to be God's name, not God's name. God's name indicates that he has no beginning. He has no end. And he is ever-present. When you walked in this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, into, into the auditorium here, or he was here, When you leave, he's there in your car. He's at home. He's waiting for you. Um, That's a comforting and it's a scary thing. When I sin, he's there. When I ask for forgiveness, he's there. When I need him for comfort or for prayer or for whatever, guess what? He's there and he was even before I even asked. And that's a comforting thing. But it's also an alarming thing and it should be. You know, how many times does the Bible tell fear the Lord, fear the name of the Lord? And it's not a scared, scaredy-cat kind of fear. It's a respectful, holy fear, a holy reverence for his name, for who and what he is. He is our judge. He is our evaluator. And he's our Savior. Um, So his name also indicates that there's no beginning or end. So Genesis to Revelation. Everything in between and everything after his name also implies that he's he is his being is derived from his own self-determination to be and to be what he is, so he is eternally who and what he is. Take a philosophy class in college and try to tell your philosophy professor this. They it, you it won't get anywhere unless they're a believer. Alright? And, and I'm gonna get way off topic if I go down that rabbit hole, so I'm not, but what I'm gonna say here is our we have a really, really easy philosophy in Christianity, which is this, what God says goes. And, and it's not up for debate. It's not some postmodern truth is according to me, which could be right, but it's also right for Leo. And it's also right for Nate or whoever. Like We don't have to worry about that. There is no philosophy in God's book. It's his way. It's what he says. It was eternally true. It will be eternally true. Um, but, but ponder on that for a little while. His name implies that his being is derived from his own self-determination. That's amazing. What kind of power, what kind of existence does it take to always exist and determine yourself and never need energy? I, I don't have that. This is a Deuteronomy 29.29 to me. The ancient Jews, though, would have especially understood this notion. They're, I mean, you think about this. They're, they are in probably one of the least significant nations. Still are. Their existence is really only because of Jehovah, because of God himself, because he said, ah, these are my people, period. And we can get into this more, but this is getting into some of the kingdom stuff that Rod is teaching. But they would understand this. Jehovah represents the revealer of himself and his will, The Redeemer. Period. They understood they really weren't anything without their Redeemer, without God's will, without His decreeing that they will be exodus from Egypt, that they will cross the river into Jordan and deliver the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, you know, all of the people that they conquered that I'm reading right now with Brady in Joshua. Read that book. My goodness. They understood. Their redeemer, their maker, their deliverer. Genesis 1 1, 2 through 23. We're not going to read all of this, but compared with Genesis chapter 2, 4 through 25, and those other scriptures, and Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Psalm, all of these deal with the relationship of God, of Jehovah, right, of Yahweh, that tetragrammaton, to his people, to his creation. Us, What rules he gave to follow, what land he gave to occupy, what power he gave and demonstrated to get them out of Egypt and into their own land. Um, I, I, one of the things that I read last night, and I didn't pick up on this, um, was God hurled rocks from heaven onto, I think it was, um, onto Hebron. Or one of the five kings. It was one of the cities of the five kings, and God fought the battle for, for Joshua. I mean, I've read that multiple times, and just for whatever reason, it didn't click the first few times, and it did. But God Himself, I mean, that's just amazing, hurled rocks, hurled. Hurled rocks, hurled hailstones, and obliterated obliterated an entire an entire people that are no longer on the planet. He is the eternal one. I do want to look these up. Love these scriptures. Go to Isaiah chapter forty-one, verse four. These are these are great underlinable verses. Um, I, I love verses in the Bible where God specifically talks about himself. I love some of those psalms. I love those passages in Job, the interaction between Job and and, and God. Um, go to Isaiah 41. Would someone want to read that? Verse 4.
3: Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he.
0: Love it. Love it. I was going to say also, mm-hmm.
3: and this isn't in your verb, you're, you're listening, but I had this in Exodus when the Lord was speaking with Moses. And it's in Exodus 4.11, and it is, The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, said yeah. to him, Who has made man's mouth? Yeah. Or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord?
0: Yeah. You want to complain? Who made your mouth to speak? You want to complain about what food I've given you and what land I've given you? Who gave you the sight to see it? That's pretty powerful. Love that. Thanks for sharing. I love this uh, in Isaiah here as well. Like, look at the... Who has performed and accomplished it? Like, seriously. You know, I can't. Have a hard enough time doing simple acts, simple jobs, simple simple things, right? L- look at the curse that we have to battle, and yet God performs it and accomplishes it. We have no power in ourselves, none. We live breath to breath, um, and, then, and then there's God's existence. And then calling forth the generations from the beginning, I love that. This is a reference, by the way, in Ephesians, that where I... Called you before what? The foundations of the earth. Before anything was made. I called you. Those generations. Those people that he called to himself. He knew. He not only knew he called. Not only called he created. And here's one of the most comforting statements in the entire Bible. You know I, I think about this. I think about death. You know. Ecclesiastes tells us we should. And I think about you know. You know how it might be, or whatever. I mean, you probably have had those thoughts. I hope maybe if you're honest, you had those thoughts. And it's not a thought I dwell on, or or makes me depressed or anything. But only because of this, like, you know what? The Lord was here way, way before me, and He's going to be here way, way after. And as soon as He calls me, guess where I'm going? Where He is. And so are you. And I don't fully understand that intermediate state, but Paul did. And Paul is as sure as the gospel, as sure as salvation, there will be a new body coming, and you know all that stuff. And again, I'm getting sidetracked, but it's such a comforting thought. What a what a blessing of a thought that he gave his people over and over and over in Scripture. That he's the first, and he's the last. There's there's not a lot more you can add to that. How about this one, the giver of life? Go to Genesis 2, 4. So the same breath that breathed his scripture that you and I read also did something else. Genesis 2, verses 4. Um, and we don't have to read all this. Just go to about 2 through, I think, 4 through about 8. This is
2: the account of, he- of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day of the Lord God made earth and the heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water and the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there He placed the man whom He had formed.
0: It's incredible. Do you know? I mean, we have physicians, we have scientists, and you know, and, and and there's such a complexity of the human body that we really don't even fully understand. I mean, you think about modern medicine today in 2023 compared to even 10 years ago. I mean, I had a knee repli- I had I had knee surgeries, um, one in two thousand four, and then one I don't remember two thousand two somewhere in there. I don't even do the surgery the same way. And and we continually advance, and we continually learn, and we continually under you know try to understand the human body, and and it's and it's all because of this God breathed life into man. And then later on, from man, right, put him him to sleep and then pull the rib out and made woman, from man, can't even really explain life yet in this time. And, you know, all of our advancements, all of our really understanding what causes life, there's all kinds of wacky theories, what causes death, all kinds of wacky theories, yet God breathed life, God created everything. There was not anything that came into being, right? John 1 1 that came into being without um, exists that is in existence, that is not from God. Um, and, and there is no death that was ever appointed that is not from God, which is amazing. Pretty amazing. How about the Supreme Judge? Well, the Ezekiel one you go on your own. How about the Supreme Judge of all creation? That's pretty important to understand as well. So, in His name is not just His eternality. His omniscience, his omnipresence, and just the giver of life, the sustainer and provider and protector of all life. He's also a supreme judge of all creation. How about Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 13 and 14? What an amazing book Ezekiel is. So much there.
3: then you will know that I am the Lord when their slain are among their idols, among their altars, on every high hill, on all the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, the places where they offer soothing aroma to all their idols. So throughout all their habitations, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste than the wilderness toward Dimple up, thus they will know that I am the Lord.
0: Not going to put up with idols. We can summarize that pretty easily. Right? There will be no other God before what? Me. One of the commandments. And before his, you know, leading into his final judgment and his, his final, you know, act um, in terms of. Um, crushing death to death, and crushing the evil one to death, and you know there will be destruction of idols. There will be destruction of of all those who are not followers, who are not um, um, believers of, of Christ, and so ultimately, ultimate the ultimate judge. No more idol will exist. Um, no more distraction will exist. There will only be existence with the lord as he intended there's a whole bunch more here they're all basically the same where where the lord is judging idols where he will he's he's telling there will be no nothing left standing uh, that is in opposition to the one ruler which is the lord from the name jehovah the believer can understand that god is eternal it is simple, it is self-existent, and it is present in every time. So our homework, this is pretty easy. As you pray, when you open your prayer, in your prayer time, in your private time, or your time with your husband or your wife, or your kids, or your meal time, or your team, or wherever you pray next, take just a split second, just a quick second, and remind yourself, Remember these verses. Remember who you're praying to. Um, The Almighty, the Creator, the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lord of hosts, the I Am is the one we pray to who ultimately is the caretaker of all of our prayers as well. And that's a comforting, amazing thought. That's all I got for tonight.